Glorious July afternoon. What a splendid sight it is, Peter. It's an absolute picture, isn't it? The sun beating down now. Beautiful day. Crowds. Not a seat to be had anywhere. Packed house. Yeah, absolutely packed. And the grass looking so lovely. Green as anything. Green as you like. Absolutely as green as could be. Yes. Grass has never looked greener. Yeah, what a scene. What a scene. Marvellous scene. Oh, I say, look, there's a bus. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a podcast where you'll hear about blockchain, cryptocurrency, emerging markets and future tech in relatively plain English. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for the FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Now, everything in this show is in the show notes. You can find links to the stuff we're talking about and timestamps to the relevant parts so you can always skip ahead or find it later. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the latest from our developing story. Jordan, Jordan, can you hear me? Yes, Matt, long story. I'm out of where I was. I'm in a new place. I'm covering the Bitcoin war. I'm in the trenches with the sides and it is, it is chaos everywhere. Chaos on the streets. Insane. Yeah, Jordan, I can hear... Wow, those are explosions in the background and that's gunfire, isn't it? No, I've been in the trenches with both sides. Currently, I'm with Bitcoin SV. Damage control is everywhere. Left, right and centre, there's explosions. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. I, I just... You don't, you don't want to be here. Don't stay away from the Bitcoin water. Right, so this isn't like a, the conflict in Syria. This is the... Bitcoin hash war which was happening on the internet Look, that's what you're covering I told you things are off the scale it is insane I spent time as an embedded journalist within Craig Wright's strategy room and I was I've spent time deep in the bowels of ABC's command and control bunker I've seen I've witnessed covert operation planning I've witnessed the execution it is wild I tell you there's so much going on behind the scenes and Jordan Cronier is covering it you talked about several battles what's what happened in these battles? Look then, at the opening battles. They were wide open. There were 140 character grenades being thrown at each other, left, right, centre. Some people even used GIFs. Many injuries, many bruised egos. It was horrific. Huh? Those sound like the opening salvos then on, on Twitter. Oh, what happened after that? And then the trench warfare kicked in. It went insane. You know, Craig Wright and Roger Ver had no reluctance. They were sacrificing ground troops, throwing their pawns into the centre of the battle. You know, Bruises, left, right, it was horror, it was carnage, absolute carnage, huh? Okay, Jordan, so you've been seeing... Jordan, oh, no, what was that, are you no, okay? You would, oh, oh, you would not, but this, I just saw someone blow up, huh? What's, what's going on, Jordan, what are you seeing? Friendly fire, friendly fire, you would not believe it, uh, oh my goodness, I tried to shoot Satoshi shotgun, it failed miserably, there are people down everywhere. Okay, Jordan, can you take a look over the trenches and see what's happening now then on the other side? I can try, can you? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. Oh, my goodness, I'm seeing it. They're coming towards They're coming towards us. Who? Who, Jordan? No, the Bitcoin ABC group. They're all, they're all running. It's, it's Roger Ver right in the middle of them, eh? He's leading the charge. He's angry. He's very angry. Oh, my goodness. They're coming for us, man. They're coming, Roger Ver. They're coming for us. Okay, Jordan, I think you probably should get somewhere safe and report from there. I don't think you should be in the trenches anymore. All right, I'll catch you soon. I've got to go. Wow.
So this week we have an interview with CoinPocket, which are a uh, a new Australian exchange which are trying to reduce the amount of fees that people pay on their exchange. Mm. Uh, we're also covering a cool tool, uh, CoinDesk's Crypto Economic Indicator. We've got a bunch of news that we'll be going through as well. Uh, privacy checkup on services like Google. And we finally come to terms with the fact that Ripple isn't going away and ask the question, were we wrong about Ripple? Never. So what have you been up to recently? I actually watched Citizen Four, which is a documentary by uh, filmmaker Lara Poitras. Now, she um, is a yeah, she's a filmmaker, and she's actually been on a government watch list for years and years, ever since she made some films uh, in Iraq during the Iraq War. Yeah, so she's under heavy surveillance and she's watched extensively and searched every time she crosses the US border. But she was the person that Edward Snowden contacted about his documents. Um, she created the whole meet between Snowden and Greenwald and filmed the whole thing. So you actually see some footage from around this, what is essentially one of the most important moments mm. in the last decade as far as privacy and surveillance goes. Mm. So really interesting. You get to see Snowden's uh, messages, what happened, his attitudes, and the key things that he thought were in the leaks very early on. So I've implemented VPN on my phone as well as my laptop. I hadn't really used it before because of battery, but now it's sort of an essential because I've got nothing to hide, but I'm hiding it. Mm. And um, yeah, I just- You're exercising your right to privacy. Yeah, because privacy is freedom. Amazing documentary, really raw. So what was it called again? Um, it's called Citizen 4. Okay. So what have you been up to? Um, so I've been settling into remote working life. How's that been going? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been good. Um, I, I worked mainly from home last week, although I ended up getting a membership at a co-working space. It's just opened up, up here in Brisbane. Because, okay. Yeah, you just go a little bit crazy when you're working from home all the time mm. and you need to get out there amongst people. Mm. And, yeah, so shout out to The Hub. They've just opened up here in Brisbane and really mm. cool little co-working space, which wow. is good. Yeah, I've been getting up earlier. Nice. Uh, I've been forcing myself not to play games on my PC when it's work time. Well, then, and that's become harder. <laughs> <laughs> that's become harder because I can now officially game on Linux. Um, I bought a new video card and uh, I've been trying out the new features we talked about a few episodes ago. I've got to say, mate, like a lot of these games work flawlessly now. Wow. Uh, that never would have worked before on Linux, so... I don't think I've booted into Windows in about four weeks. Sheesh. Wow. There's been a bunch of other things going on, some of which I may be able to talk about soon. Ooh. Um, so a little teaser of an announcement of announcement, maybe. Well, we'll see what happens. Looking forward to it. A bit of disclosure. This is not investment, tax, financial, business. Legal. Business, financial, advice. Yeah, we're not saying you should buy anything at all. We're personally invested in different cryptocurrencies and stocks and whatever, some of which we talk about on the show. But if we talk about a project, it doesn't mean you should buy it. So do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and most importantly, avoid the fear of missing out. If you're new around here and new to crypto, you can check out our Blockchain Basics series. It starts from episode two and continues until episode eight. It will give you some grounding in the fundamentals and help you understand what on earth we're talking about. Um, what the fork is going on? If you've been living under a rock or you're just not involved in crypto at all, this last probably week, week and a half, two weeks, there's been what they're calling a hash war going on. 
um, not in Bitcoin, not in Ethereum, but in the slightly strange and wacky world of Bitcoin Cash. So what's happened? Bitcoin Cash is a fork of Bitcoin. So around the middle of last year, there was a big agreement in the Bitcoin community and the majority of Bitcoin community wanted to implement something called SegWit mm-hmm. and a smaller portion of the Bitcoin community did not want to implement SegWit and they ended up basically parting ways and the mm-hmm. chain, what we called split. And Bitcoin continued on as the main Bitcoin um, chain, but there was a new ca- chain called Bitcoin Cash. Right. And the people in the Bitcoin Cash chain, their view was that Bitcoin had lost its way and wasn't keeping with the original vision of the white paper. So they were going to continue on Bitcoin on their own in the way that they thought it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. So fast forward ahead about a year and a half and... Bitcoin Cash has been going on for quite a while, but agreements have been brewing within the community and there's several strong personalities within that community and they've all started disagreeing. Mm-hmm. And it eventually came to another head and uh, and part of the community said we want to go one way, part of the community said we wanted to go another way. For me, looking in on the outside, and I think for a lot of other people, it seemed more like a clash of personalities mm. than an actual clash about the technical aspects of, mm. of the coin itself. Um and that's played out in uh, another hard fork. Oh. And so Bitcoin Cash last week split into two forks, one called Bitcoin ABC, another one called Bitcoin SV, which I assume stands for Satoshi's vision. Oh. Um, and it's basically been an all-out war between the two factions ever since. And everyone else has been kind of sitting on the sidelines, eating popcorn, watching the fireworks and watching... Um, a network basically implode on itself. And so who won? Most external observers say that Bitcoin ABC has won. Right. Okay. And the reason they say that is because they've put a lot more what they call work. So in Bitcoin, you mine and you, you prove that you've done a certain amount of work, which is essentially computing power or hash or hashing. And, uh, and while the two chains are basically the same length, the work that's gone into the Bitcoin ABC chain is quite a lot bigger at this stage. Right. And that was the metric by which a lot of the Bitcoin SV people said that someone would win was right. by having... So they've right. u- essentially used their own metric against them. Huh. Um, several of the big exchanges, they're saying that they're going to keep the Bitcoin Cash ticker on their site, but that's going to be Bitcoin ABC and then Bitcoin SV is going to get its own ticker. Right. Uh, but interestingly, Binance said, we're just going to split the two and one's going to be Bitcoin Cash ABC and one's going to be Bitcoin Cash SV. It's, going to get, it's getting very complicated very fast. It's getting very complicated very fast for something that was meant to be very simple. The Bitcoin Cash community have constantly said that they are the real Bitcoin, that they're the easier to use Bitcoin, They've said that they're easy, it's easier to onboard people, but I can't imagine it being easy now. Already having to convince people that Bitcoin isn't Bitcoin, but that it's Bitcoin Cash. But now they've got to convince people that it's Bitcoin Cash ABC or Bitcoin Cash SV. It's just weird, man. It's just weird. Like, why do they have to fork it and keep it the same name? I don't get why they didn't fork it and just call it, you know, one, call one Craig Wright coin and the other one Roger Ver coin. I think a lot of the people involved in that community truly believe that they are the real Bitcoin. And if they lose that, then they'll just be another altcoin. And a lot of that community have spent their time blasting other altcoins like Dash and Arrow and all. So so 
I think you're finding now that a lot of these people have kind of backed themselves into a corner and everything's falling apart around them and there's a bit of cognitive denial going on. It's crazy because, I mean, a lot of the commentators have noted that it's a, it's a few it's a few very powerful people who are controlling these sort of who are making all the big moves in these decentralized systems. Mm. I guess the que- you got to ask the question: Have they become the very thing that they mm. they swore to defeat? You know. Mm. So yeah, I mean, if you want to if you want to read more about it, you can go on Twitter. There's still many ongoing conversations on that medium. <laughs> Um, but I don't think we'll probably. I don't think we'll cover it again. We only covered it because it was just such a. It was such a big deal. It's a good excuse to sit on Twitter for forty hours. It was entertaining, wasn't oh, it? Oh yeah. It was really entertaining. Some of the memes that have come out of this <laughs> have been incredible. Yeah, Twitter delivers. Just when you're about to delete your Twitter account, something exciting happens, isn't it? So what's been happening in the news? First item, Mythical Games has raised $16 million to develop blockchain gaming on EOS. That's pretty cool. So that one was led by um, Mike Novogratz's fund. Mm, Galaxy Digital. Yeah. Yeah. And it's some sort of blockchain uh, game studio that's been founded by, I think it was former Activision executives. Yeah, executives or or developers or something. Yeah, but but Mike is obviously, who's a very well-known investor, has obviously believed in them enough to want to back it at Series A, which is, you know, quite early still. Mm. Yeah, and they're saying that they want to have a whole new generation of games, a whole new type of game backed by a, you know, a real-world economy, essentially. Next piece of news, Bancor X cross-chain liquidity network has gone live on EOS. Yeah, this is a really interesting one. So Bancor is a protocol that was developed for Ethereum first, and they are kind of like a... An exchange. Um, mm-hmm. They've got a whole bunch of tokens that you can you can have on the Bancorn network and transfer between people. And they've built a endpoint on EOS as well. So they've built a similar software on EOS, yeah. the EOS network. So now, let's say Bancor supports the Decentraland token, Land. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I'm not sure if they do or not, but let's say they do. Uh, you would be able to now transfer your land to an equivalent token on EOS, on the EOS network. So it means that developers could use Bancor as their backend for their distributed applications Mm. and gain the benefits from each platform, essentially. So if they need fast transaction speeds, they can build that part of their application on EOS. Right. If they need, you know, complex smart contracts that are well-proven on Solidity, they could use the Ethereum network. Wow! Um, so that's kind of their vision. They want it's it's one of the first cross-chain liquidity networks. So same same deal with let's say you're an exchange mm. and you want to support uh, you want to build an exchange on EOS, but you want to support Ethereum tokens. Mm. That wasn't really possible until now, but now wow. using Bancor, you probably could. Um, it still has to go through Bancor though, mm. which is so it's not truly trustless. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So next bit of news, China's central bank has issued a warning against a blockchain investment bubble. Yeah, so the People's Bank of China, which is known for its anti-cryptocurrency stance, has reportedly advised that the government strengthen its supervision of speculation, market manipulation and other irregularities, which it claims are common in domestic blockchain investment and financing schemes. Yeah, and this is coming in line with the news from the SEC that uh, they're actively 
seeking to either prosecute or settle large cases behind the scenes with a number of ICOs uh, that were started last year. Mm. So it seems like both regulators are clamping down or at least issues warning, issuing warnings at pretty much the same time. And uh, that other announcement from the, the SEC in the US was really interesting because Eric Voorhees, yeah. who is the shapeshift CEO and a number of other projects, he's been tied up in it because of his advisory role on uh, on Salt Lending, which was an right. Ethereum-based lending platform. Wow. Um, and SEC, generally they'll settle things behind the scenes, but they've actually taken the unusual step of coming out and saying, we're looking at, actively looking at lending platforms like Salt Lending and Ethland. Um, wow. So, yeah, it seems like both regulators are really clamping down. And the SEC one is is quite concerning because it's, it's well, concerning if you're someone that's run an ICO because a lot of the language coming out of that announcement that they made uh, was very negative towards most oh. ICOs. And I think a lot of people would fall within their definitions of what mm. probably isn't okay. Mm. Um, but they also have been saying that they could there could be security, they could swap to a security token model, um, maybe with some sanctions or something mm. as well. So governments are finally making, stepping in and making some, uh, some real definite moves. Next up, Coinbase's uh, chief technical officer said that crypto is entering the tech mainstream. So Balaji Srinivasan, uh, he's a prominent uh, venture capital investor and he's a CTO at Coinbase. He said that crypto is entering the tech mainstream. He points out that the CEO of Google, like the two guys who founded Google, their sons are both mining crypto. He points out Facebook's doing blockchain. Square has open source some nice cold storage code. Microsoft, Amazon, Google Cloud all have blockchain efforts. Crypto is entering the tech mainstream. That's really interesting that he said his sons are both mining. Their sons are both mining crypto. Yeah, did not know that. Yeah, but you do see it. I, I saw a poll recently. Um, had a lot of people participate in it, and it was kind of asking high school age kids, like if they had a, a choice to invest in something, like if they if someone gave them ten thousand dollars, what would they put it in? And like fifty something percent of people said Bitcoin. Wow. Um, and I think. I can't remember what the second one was, but like government bonds and fiat money was like 2% and 3%. Kids probably don't even know what they are. No. (laughs) One in five Brits think that Bitcoin will be as common as cash or card in the future. So young men are by far the most likely demographic to have bought Bitcoin and to think that they understand how it works. Yeah, so this came out of uh, a YouGov research project and they were exploring 10 years on from the inception of Bitcoin, what people were thinking about it. Yeah, 21% of British people think that cryptocurrencies will one day be as common as card or cash. However, 43% are more sceptical, saying they don't think cryptocurrencies will ever be as common as cash or card. Yeah, it was also interesting that uh, a lot more people were very uncomfortable with the idea that a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin was controlled by the people. It seemed like a lot of Brits still have a lot of confidence in the central banking system and the banks, mm. and uh, they're a lot more comfortable with the idea of a government-controlled currency uh, than a, a currency controlled essentially by the commons. Mm. You wonder if these same people reckon that the Bank of England is actually owned by the British government. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. Just like the Reserve Bank of Australia. Or the Federal Reserve. Or the Federal Reserve. <laughs> They've got their naming schemes down pat, though, Mm, haven't they? mm. 
Next piece of news coming out of graphene.info, they're saying this bionic mushroom interacts with bacteria and graphene to generate electricity. Yeah, so in a recent study, researchers from the Stevens Institute of Technology in the US have come up with an original idea. They've designed a bionic mushroom that uses graphene to produce electricity. More accurately, the researchers have generated mushrooms pattern with energy-producing bacteria and an electrode network. It's kind of crazy. You wonder if you're like light bulbs in the future, which would be mushrooms that you <laughs> plug into the roof. and Because yeah. these are like these are like electron conducting, conducting mushrooms, aren't they? They're like pushing electrons around. Because, yeah, in their vision, the mushroom would provide shelter, moisture and nutrients while the bacteria 3D printed on the cap of the, the mushroom would supply energy by photosynthesis. Wow. Um, so, yeah, graphene nanoribbons printed alongside the bacteria could capture the electrons released by the microbes during photosynthesis, producing bioelectricity. So we could, instead of having, like, tiles on our roof, we could plant a garden on our roof and just have a whole bunch of mushrooms up there and just, run our house like that. Yeah. Instead of solar. Yeah. It'd be, like, mm. straight out of one of those uh, Lewis Carroll stories or something, isn't it? Oh, I, I hate mushrooms, too. This is really... This is really bad news. You're not a fan of mushrooms? No, I can't stand Do you know it. what? I've met a few people who just don't like mushrooms, but mushrooms are great. You need to cook them in butter and garlic and then put some herbs in there. And, oh, look, I just, I, just don't, I just don't think humans are meant to eat fungus. What's wrong with that? It's fungus. We eat mould. Oh, it's cultured mould. It's changed. Mushrooms aren't changed. They're like just... Blue cheese is dope, but that's foul if yeah, you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, but mushrooms, then you're not doing anything to the mushroom. It's still a mushroom. It's just <laughs> it's just straight up fungus. Looks like we found a hater. Look, if I wanted to lick between people's toes, I'd go and do it. <laughs> what are you saying? Uh, but yeah, if, they, if shining a light on a mushroom activate, activated with this, generates a really small current, like 65 nanoamps or something. Okay. But it's not enough to power an electronic device, but an array of bionic mushrooms could generate enough current to light up an LED. So, yeah, now they're working on ways to get higher currents, and, um, yeah, sounds pretty, pretty random. One day we're going to travel space in mushrooms. Yeah, boy. Big mushrooms. I'm sure this is like the Beatles' vision of the future in the yeah. hazy 1960s. <laughs> Imagine. Imagine. <laughs> Imagine in the future. <laughs> um, so next bit of news, the battery boom will apparently attract $620 billion in investment, so according to RenewableEnergyWorld.com. Yeah, so the battery boom is coming to China, California, and basically everywhere else, and it will be bigger than previously thought. So the global energy storage market will surge to a cumulative 942 gigawatts by 2040, according to a new forecast from Bloomberg NEF, which I'm guessing is something to do with energy. Um, and yeah, they're saying that growth will necessitate $620 billion in investment. Yeah, so sharply falling battery costs is a key driver of the boom, and BNEF sees capital costs of a utility-scale lithium-ion storage system falling another 52% by 2020. And this is really interesting because I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately on this on this subject yeah. and just doing a lot of reading on more just renewable energies in general. But um, if you can – the the cost in producing energy from, say, a solar facility with a, with a good battery setup yeah. uh, is – 
significantly cheaper than pretty much anything else except, say, one of the most advanced types of gas plants they've got now. Wow. The problem is to build like a natural gas plant takes five years generally. Right. And that's pretty much, no matter what size you want, yeah. generally takes five years from inception to actually building it. Whereas a solar plant or some other type of renewable is, is very easy to put down um, and then you essentially just plug the battery in and it, it'll just store it. And the biggest problem with a lot of this, of course, up until now has been that batteries just haven't been able to hold enough charge mm. or they're too inefficient. You lose too much power and it becomes less cost effective. And so most solar up until this point has just been for like during the day. Right. And then the traditional power has to come in at nighttime and pick up the load, which mm. is generally when most power is being used. Mm. With battery technology getting very, very good and ever improving, uh, it's going to be huge for renewable energies, distributed markets, um, and smaller scale energy suppliers mm. and producers. So the forecast is suggesting um, that energy storage may be equivalent to 7% of the world's total installed power capacity by 2040. Wow. Which is a huge amount of power. Um, yeah, and they're saying that the Asia-Pacific region will be home to 45% of total installations on a megawatt basis by the same time period. Uh, another 29% across Europe, Middle East and Africa. The remainder will be in the Americas. Final piece of news, um, Zero X have introduced the Zero X launch kit. Um, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so Zero X, for those people that don't know, is like a decentralized exchange protocol. So okay. it's kind of meant to be a base layer for all decentralized exchanges. And so in the crypto world, you've got centralized exchanges, which are exchanges that you log into and they hold all the all the the cryptocurrency and you they're centralized you just get an account and you trade within the platform and if you ever want to get the cryptocurrency so you own it you've got to transfer it out with a decentralized exchange you can go onto an exchange website it'll automatically pair up with your wallet so your ethereum wallet for example and it will detect what you have in that wallet so ethereum uh De decentraland aragon whatever tokens you've got in there, it'll detect them all. Yeah. And then it will show you a buy and sell order page for all those tokens. Wow. Now, and it's not really run, it's run by someone, but it's, you hold the funds all the time. So your match, the buy and sell order is a match between another real person and the funds exchanged directly on the blockchain. Mm. So it doesn't go through the, the centralized service. It's not just the, it's not just a database which is shifting funds around behind the scenes. It's actual crypto exchanging hands every single time wow. from account to account. Hmm. Now, that's a decentralized exchange. But what Zero X have said is they've said, well, we've got this whole Ethereum network. Yep. So we're going to build a protocol that lets all of these different exchanges link up and have one big liquidity pool. So, for example, Radar Relay is someone that uses the Zero X protocol. And you can go on Radar Relay and you can place buy and sell orders on that. And you, to, to the user's eyes, it just feels like it's whatever's being bought and sold on that exchange. Mm -hmm. But because they use Zero X, that buy order you put out will be shown on all the other decentralized exchanges all around the internet, which use Zero X as well. Wow. So you may get someone that buys the crypto from you on another exchange. Wow. And it just matches it across exchanges. Which so, is incredible. So I guess it just means that smaller exchanges can start up and not feel like you need certain, you know, critical mass before it takes off. Yeah. You could just make a, you know, a Brazilian language 
exchange yep. and be able to work with you know all these massive liquidity pool, not just yeah, exactly. And 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 this this launch kit um, which they've put together is basically just that. It's saying um, they've made it really easy now for almost anyone to start their own decentralized exchange and draw upon the zero X network. Wow. Yeah. So really cool. Um, it's just, I, I just love seeing these open source projects just give stuff away. Mm. Like they've essentially built this technology. Yes. There's a zero X coin and you generally will get a discount on your, the very small network fee. If you use their coin to settle the transactions. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of it. There's not really any other the way they're giving this away for free you know you can go out take this kit start your decentralized exchange tomorrow and it really won't cost you a cent you've just got to make sure you're hosting uh all your front end yourself are we completely wrong about ripple (sighs) i don't know i don't know Mm -hmm, anymore mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay and, and the reason the reason we decided to talk about this in this episode is because Pretty much since Ripple really came on the scene, we've been quite confident in our assertion that its value is not attached in any way to its token. Um, It should not be valued anywhere near as high. It's no good. Um, And yet in saying that is now, as of today's episode, number two in market cap. In the entire cryptocurrency market. What is Ripple? Yeah, so Ripple... And this, I'm taking this from Coin Review, which did an in-depth. Or they say it was an in-depth review recently. Uh, say Ripple is a real-time gross settlement system and remittance network. Its native asset is called XRP, and it functions as a digital currency. And in contrast to Bitcoin, the total supply is pre-mined. Now, the sole purpose of Ripple or XRP is digital value transfer and the use cases or remittances and interbank transfers. XRP relies on independent validator nodes that validate transactions. So essentially, Ripple is a coin that was completely pre-mined, first of all. Right. So no one was, else was involved in the mining. Ripple held the entire amount of the coin okay. at the beginning. Right. Um, and that's probably why a lot of us in the crypto world got a bad taste in our mouth at the very beginning anyway. Right. Because they, they held the entire amount of the coin to start with. Mm-hmm. The main use case for Ripple, and people call it the bank coin. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that Ripple and the people behind Ripple have a lot of connections with the legacy banking system. Mm-hmm. And they've been very open about the fact that they're going after the SWIFT network. Wow. They want to be the new settlement layer for the banks. Right. So they want to run kind of like a consortium blockchain between all the banks mm-hmm. where everyone can settle transactions through tokenized real world assets. Mm-hmm. Um basically in, in, in near real time on a distributed ledger between the banks. Wow. That's kind of their use case. The difficulty with Ripple is, is that the token XRP is completely unrelated from that use case. Their settlement system is completely private. It's a private chain run behind the scenes with the banks. It's not used for the banking settlement layer. So XRP is essentially just a token on a public blockchain run by Ripple uh, with validators who are who are approved by Ripple, right? Um, and it basically just runs like a public blockchain, right? But the use case of Ripple is entirely detached from its public network. I think, like, were we wrong to 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 criticize it so much? Like, is there space in this ecosystem for a very centralized network, which people w- want to exchange value on because it's quite fast? 
So that's the thing about Ripple is it is quite fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very centralized. Yep. The nodes are all approved. Uh, and you can exchange XRP with someone else very quickly. Right, right, right. Um, so that use case in and of itself in a centralized network, I guess you could say it is quite powerful. And it is related to the banks, which, you know, can, um, you know, a lot of these people have come from the banking industry. So mm. there's a lot of trust in those sorts of pe- those sorts of people to be able to build financial product. From from my from the the bit I've read about Ripple uh, after I started questioning this, it seems like there are now plans for kind of like a an inter Ripple connection layer where right. the public will be able to interact with that private settlement blockchain between the banks okay. in some kind of capacity. Hmm. Um, so there could be a few different use cases on the horizon that we're just yet to see. Yeah, I, I guess it's all about what you're comfortable with. I mean, we, we, we read earlier about the people in the UK who they think Bitcoin will be used like cash in the future, but at the same time when you start talking about a network run by the people, uh, by consensus, completely decentralised, a lot of people seem to get uncomfortable. A lot of people like the idea of having a more centralised financial network. Um, and that's what Ripple is. It's a really centralised blockchain. The trade-off with that, of course, is that if it's a really centralized blockchain, how do you know that the ledger isn't being tampered with? And I guess it comes down to trust, trustworthiness. It's a California-based company. The team are public. They're known about. So there are certain elements of trust that play off in this. I guess it just depends what you want in your blockchain network, in your cryptocurrency. Wherever you're from, it's a pleasure having you here. Uh, Why not drop into our Telegram channel and say hello? All, all you need to do to do that is jump on FOMO.show slash Telegram and just follow the sign-in prompts and you'll be on our little chat channel. What's the cool tool this week? So this week we've got a crypto economics explorer that's come out of Coindesk. Mm. So what makes this crypto economics explorer so exciting for you? I, th- I think, so the moment you open this economic explorer up, you see this hexagon. What kind of diagram is that? I think it's called a spider diagram. I could be wrong. What I like about this is that with many of these websites, when you're comparing currencies or cryptocurrencies head to head, you can see a bunch of stats that you can put in about each one, but you can't see how they are relative to the other ones. Now, when you put it on a spider diagram like this, where they all emanate from the center, you can immediately see which is better than which on certain scales. Mm. I hope CoinGecko steals something like this and just plug yeah. their metrics into it because it's a great way of visualizing stuff. So anyway, CoinDesk, Crypto Economics Explorer. We'll put the link in the show notes and check, check it, it out. out. Yeah. So this week you had the opportunity to interview CoinPocket. Um, let's play the interview for you now. I'm here with Alfonso Porcelli, uh, who's the CEO, founder and director of CoinPocket. How are you doing, Alfonso? Hi, how are you, Matthew? How are you doing? Good, good, thank you. And, and uh, yeah, very good to have you here. Um, thank glad, you. Glad you're here and, and I'm really interested to hear about what you guys are up to. So, first of all, before we jump into the specifics of CoinPocket, uh, we always love to get a little bit of background about our guests. So, can you tell me a little bit about your background and also what got you interested in cryptocurrency in the first place? So, since I was little, I always got fascinated and I always loved uh, the world of technology uh, following the steps uh, of my old man so my father uh, he always uh, 
has been a great innovator and a fantastic person uh, regarding to innovation to technology. Mm. Um, I decided to take his steps and continue on the journey that he's creating. I worked uh, with a big company that he's the CEO of uh, called Lakiba. I worked uh, for them for five years uh, until now and um, I learned a lot of things. I got in hardware engineering, I started learning about cryptocurrency more in the detail, uh, more in the blockchain ecosystem and I started working on different projects of uh, uh, 360 VR experience. So. And I always learned on the, the innovation side kind of thing and also on the how we can make it better for people and how we can create a solution out of these projects that we, we always generated. So basically, I got into crypto um, in the early stage of cryptocurrency itself and blockchain. I got fascinated because I saw the fluctuation of the market and how you can move such large amounts of number of money from country to country country by paying a fee of six cents mm. so uh, for me it was like this makes sense this works so I started trading by my own and at that point when I started trading I started trading on Australian platforms and I started and global platforms to all around the world with different uh, many different type of fears and I started noticing that there was problems gaps that I didn't like and as a trader myself I thought ah well this system doesn't really work and uh, bringing uh, Bitcoin here in Australia is much more expensive than what you can buy in America or you can buy in China or you can buy in all around Europe so I said why well, don't make a solution and that's what I that's why I started CoinPocket. Great okay and so so Give us a little bit of an overview then about what Coin Pocket is. What do you want to achieve with it, and and what is your goal for this this Coin Pocket platform? So I explain you. So the majority of the market all around the world is fully centralized. So it means the blockchain uh, and the cryptocurrency, basically cryptocurrency, was uh, created to uh, not being centralized, not in the hand of the government or the banks. Okay, so what other exchanges are doing, not uh, saying anything bad about my competitors, but what other exchanges are doing are centralizing what it was created to be decentralized. So what I'm trying to do here is simply saying you just insert your personal wallet address of the currency that you prefer and you simply purchase it for the Australian fiat currency. So simple as that, you insert your address uh, before you do so, you get verified with us uh, for your ID, uh, for security reasons, of course, it's really important. Um, and then you just insert your address, you select the amount that you want to purchase, and you purchase the crypto that you prefer. I am trying to bring back what was designed to be decentralized again to be decentralized. Right, okay, and so if I'm a, if I'm a user then and I, I log onto the CoinPocket site, um, I verify myself with your, your your process. First of all, what's, what's involved in that verification process on CoinPocket? So it's, uh, Coin, CoinPocket sign up is really easy. You simply just put your name, surname, email, and you verify your email on, um, on you just verify your email. Once you do so, you get into your account, once you're in your account, you need to get verified. The verification takes 45 seconds to fill in the full form and upload your IDs. 
Once you do so, the full process of verification is only 15 seconds. So roughly in a total of a minute, you full up and running uh, to be able to purchase the currency. We have uh, three different functionality that you can deposit. So we have cash deposit, poly deposit, and a bank transfer deposit. Bank transfer can take from one to two days. Poly is a direct transfer, so it's instantaneously. So as soon as you put the money, uh, you will find it in your account instantaneously. And the cash deposit, basically you go to a news agent and you, get, you go deposit your cash. Um, of course, the transaction can be higher than $9,000 uh, with cash. Okay. So, um, okay. uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy, uh, much, much easier than the uh, majority of the exchange uh, around the world. They usually can take up to two weeks because you will need to take a picture of yourself with the documents in the hand and stuff like that it needs to be, be verified by humans. Mm. Mm, yeah, there, there are some quite complex <laughs> processes that I've had on other exchanges. So, so that's really good. Um, but look, like you said, you, that, that option is available. So the purchase of cryptos for Australian dollars and, and through Poly and other systems, that's available on several other platforms. So what makes CoinPocket different from some of the other platforms that are out there uh, after people have signed up? So basically what do we do? We follow innovation. So we try, we try to found as much innovation as we can to implement into our customers. So for example, for, the, for this stage, we are a decentralized buy platform, something that you won't find anywhere else, number one. Second of all, if uh, the transaction time period for us is around 15 seconds for Ethereum and 30 seconds for Bitcoin and 15 seconds for Litecoin. So this is much faster than majority of, of uh, exchanges uh, around the world, simply because, uh, you know, being honest uh, with their, all my clients, we pay a higher mining fee. So by paying a higher mining fee, we get priority on the blockchain and we get executed first. So we can guarantee a much more fast transaction for our customers. And also we're going to integrate uh, the sell option and we're going to integrate uh, the market option. So to have a book order like uh, other exchanges and right. also have a decentralized sell option. So the centralized sell option means I won't hold the money of my customers and sell it. The customer will hold this money, send it to a special address and from that address, this money gets sold and this currency gets sold and the, the customer gets his pounds back in his account. But by being like that, um, people uh, always question me this, why decentralized and not centralized? For the simple fact that majority of the other exchange are putting a risk, uh, uh, their customers by simply just giving them a public address and where to receive their money without showing them the private key. For, mm. And by holding the private key in their hands. So by holding the private key in the hands of one single entity, you create a, a much higher risk for your customers and for the business itself. So by doing so, if a hacker tomorrow morning hacks uh, another exchange, and it steals their private key, all their customers lose their money. This is what we saw happening in Italy, this is what we see happening in China, in Japan, 
So I'm working out a mechanism that can help the user's security as much as possible and help the security of the business as much as possible. So my customers are happy and uh, all the all my platform is fully secure. Great. Okay. Well, that, that sounds really good. So let, let me just dig down a little bit more into that then from maybe a, a user experience perspective. So you say it's it, it's a decentralized process. It's it's the big problem with other exchanges is that they hold everything in one account. You don't control your private keys. And, and we say that a lot on the podcast too. We say, look, if you've got something at an exchange, uh, it's not yours. Really, it's not yours until you transfer it out. Um, to your own account. So from a user experience perspective, then what's different about the way that people interact with CoinPocket? Um, how, how will they have control over that currency? Is that going directly to, say they say I hop on CoinPocket and I purchase $1,000 worth of Bitcoin. Will yes. that Bitcoin go directly to my wallet then? Or will that be held within uh, CoinPocket custody until I transfer it out? So I explain you how it works. Uh, there is no option of coin pocket holding your custody so of holding your money so your money are your money so there is no meaning why should i handle your money i'll hold it for you okay and uh, put you putting you at risk mm. so why should i give you a risk if you're my customer and you're really coming to me to purchase from me so basically what we do is simply like this you open a crypto wallet whatever brand you choose to use okay and uh, you will receive a private key with your public address and you just uh, put your public address in the coin pocket platform in uh, in the box where it says uh, your wallet address and once you insert it and you decide the amount and you got verified and you accept the terms you press start the transaction once the transaction is completed 15 seconds later the money are in your wallet. Right, and so that's that's then a, a wallet address that I could manage. If, if I chose, I could manage with another wallet application using that private key as well, and it would it, it, it's all there stored on chain. It's not stored in some coin pocket account. Correct, correct, totally correct. You can use, you can use a hardware wallet. Uh, you can use a mobile phone with a wallet on it. You can use a computer with a wallet on it. Doesn't matter what brand, doesn't matter. You just need to have a public address. Once you have a public address and you insert in the platform, your private key is in your hands, your security is in your hands, you feel more comfortable and more Mm. responsible for your crypto. So you may, you take your own decisions, basically. You do not, uh, you you basically do what what cryptocurrency was built for. To be decentralized. I, I really love that model, and that's uh, that's something I think we've needed, especially here in Australia, for a long time. So that's that's really good. Um, so you talked then about expanding the functionality out to more of like an exchange experience. You know, having a having a the ability to set buy and sell orders, um, trade cryptocurrencies between each other. Um, could you talk a little bit more about how that will work at a at a technical level? How how you'll be able to stay decentralized um, and allow that buying and selling of cryptocurrency, and you know maybe what what technology you're using behind the scenes to achieve that. So basically, um, for the sell option, uh, the decentralized sell option, we're gonna allow the users to have their personal wallets and simply send the, the money to a specific address. And those money, uh, those cryptocurrency that they send to this uh, specific public address will be sold straight away to the value that we estimated for them. And they are going to found 
the deposit amount of the money they are meant to receive in their coin pocket account and they can withdraw it to their bank account whenever they want. Mm, okay. So it's basically at, the, at this stage, uh, if you go on an exchange, uh, you purchase crypto, you want to sell it, you can sell it directly. The exchange allows you to do it. Once you sell it, you get the money directly. But mm. you still have the risk of them holding your private key. So what we built, because it's already there and it's ready to come out on the market, but what we built is the user from his wallet sends the money, pays a little fee on the mining fee, and once we get the money, we ensure them that we're selling those money and giving them back their fiat. So basically, for the little percentage of mining fee that the user is paying to execute the transaction, we're simply ensuring them a full secure system without giving the chance of a breach. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, and, and how do you, because um, you, you obviously got to get those uh, exchange prices from somewhere. Where are you sourcing those exchange prices from? So we are basically uh, plugged in in 48 different exchanges. So basically I explain how it works. So that's where the AI algorithm comes in. So that's where the machine learning comes in. Simply, uh, we plugged in in 48 different exchanges all around the world. We spot the best price for the buy and we spot the best price for the sell globally wise, okay? Mm. We produce the price, we show it to our customers and we ensure our customers that we're gonna provide them the cost of another exchange. So basically, let's say we have 48 exchange on the list and uh, so all of a sudden, only one exchange has 3% less in their price, okay? And this exchange is based in America, okay? And so the Australian user can't really reach it unless he changes his fiat from Australian to American. So if he does so, he needs to pay the fees to the bank and that will cost him around 10%. So at that point, to do so, my user, the user in Australia is losing money. He's not actually making money for the good price. So what I'm doing for my user, I'm gonna get it for them and bring it to them. Mm. And so, and that, and so the, uh, it essentially aggregates the prices across the market, looks for the best possible price and Correct. pairs that to, and says to the user, this is your price for cashing out. Correct. This is your price to buy it. This is your price to cash it out. Wow. Okay. And so that, that's quite a that's quite a, a complex system. Then, uh, not only the machine learning algorithm, but just everything else you've built out so far. And, and it's out, from the sounds of it, what's about to come out as well. What, what were some of the biggest challenges in in building that kind of system? Then, Alfonso, from a from a development perspective. So from a development perspective, uh, we saw a little bit of challenge, uh, not really in the developing section because uh, it's uh, it's really easy. Um, we're talking about uh, APIs. Mm. Um, so, so some developers take it from a perspective of really hard, but thank God uh, my developers are genius. Uh, really people with a lot of experience and uh, they're really smart. And the main thing in uh, CoinPocket is everybody has an opinion and everybody gets listened to. So feedback is the main thing for us here at CoinPocket. Everybody of us gives their own opinion and my developers are traders themselves. So by 
giving them the possibility of having an open opinion that can even share their own problems uh, that they had in other exchange and to fix it. So basically to develop this system, um, I don't see any point of uh, technical difficulty. The only difficulty was basically the timing of signing up with the, the other exchanges. Mm. It was so long time of getting verified of two weeks, three weeks and time like that. And I was like, <laughs> I, I need to get a company verified and it's gonna take me three weeks. I, I only imagine how my users feel to do a verification like that. I don't know if you remember the period um, that cryptocurrency was in the boom. So in 2007, at the end of 2017, mm. uh, people, there was so many questions on the forums of talking about what's going on, why the verification is taking about two months, uh, how can I get some crypto, I want to get in this too, blah, blah, blah. And basically the market wasn't ready for the quantity of users. That's a simple answer. Yeah, and it was quite painful. I can remember waiting for, um, because there were new exchanges opening up all the time and, and some of them you could were the only way you could get certain crypto assets and uh, you'd sign up for them and by the time you'd finally been approved to sign up for them, the opportunity that you'd spotted was gone. <laughs> you know, you, know, you just had a, a, essentially a useless account on an exchange somewhere that you'd spent maybe an hour or two through the KYC process and then waited for, for everything to come through. Uh, so, yeah, I do definitely remember that. Um, it does sound like a, a, a very different system to what we're used to now. Uh, but there, there, there probably are some fees somewhere in the, in, in, in the mix in someone using this system. So where will the users be paying fees on CoinPocket? So basically the user, it's only paying us the 0.45% of uh, brokerage fee. So basically just the fee to execute the transaction. So just to spot them uh, the best price. 0.45% um, is one of the cheapest one on the market mm. at this stage. And by doing so, we still provide a really cheap price because uh, other, uh, there is other competitors, they have low fees but uh, they increase the price of the coins itself. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that, that's, that, that's, that's quite low, Afonso, and that's the only fee on the platform that there is, the 0.45% yes. yes. one. That's it. We pay the mining fee for the customers. Wow. Brilliant. Okay. So you've got the you've got that basic buy functionality then, and it, it sounds like there's the sell functionality coming out soon as well. Do, it, what, what time is that estimated to come out? So the sell functionality, basically, I like uh, to give uh, my users not just one functionality at a time. So the sell functionality is going to come out in approximately uh, three weeks to four weeks. But uh, along with the sell option, the centralized is going to come the market option and also uh, the address book option. So basically, you with the address book, you will be able to store the address that you often send money to so let's say somebody has a business and uh, they need to pay somebody else in crypto and they have five or six people to pay in crypto and they just can save their address in this address book and select it whenever they want and instead of just doing copy and paste always they can save it so in the future, they are 100% sure they won't make any mistake because as you know, in the blockchain, if you insert a wrong number or wrong space or something, it's gonna, it's gonna bring you to a failure in the, in the transaction and the loss of money. Mm. 
Okay, and for the market functionality, then uh, how, how are you? How, so I assume that means that users are going to be able to buy, uh, set buy orders and sell orders, which other users will be able to fill. Is that correct? Correct. So just uh, they decided the buy order and the sell order, uh, but um, unfortunately, logically and technically, it's impossible to create such a thing uh, in uh, in a decentralized way. Mm. Uh, the money will be held by CoinPocket for a short time, or if the customer wants, we can hold it for them. But um, of course, uh, you know that there is a risk. We don't say it's impossible um, to get hacked, you understand what I mean? Mm. Everything that can be encrypted can be decrypted really easily. So uh, it's, everything can be reverse engineered. So it's, um, it's uh, you know, the, the market option it needs to be controlled by somebody for the simple reason that if uh, they're not connected to each other and you want to do it through the blockchain, uh, it's going to make the system much slower and a pain for my users. Mm. So, of course, the user, if he wants to do a purchase order and he purchases crypto, he gets the crypto in the in his wallet on coin pocket, but then he can take it out whenever he wants. Right. Okay, brilliant. So, th- there's still an extra element of control then on the coin pocket exchange as opposed to other exchanges. Correct. So, the, the user can even, so for example, in the future release, the user will go on his wallet, okay, mm. and he can, will be able to tick a box and put the address of his uh, wallet on his mobile phone, okay? And every time he does a buy purchase, okay? He does a buy on the market and he purchases it, he goes in the CoinPocket wallet and because he ticked the box, CoinPocket automatically sends it to his personal wallet. Wow, okay, so he doesn't have to manually remove it, it will just go straight to his wallet. It, w- it, w- it wouldn't make sense to make them do it manually. Yeah. But, uh, it, it wouldn't. He wouldn't have one step more. You know. Mm. So I wanted to make it for them much easier. They just tick a box. They confirm that their address is their wallet on their mobile phone or computer or wherever they have it, and the money gets sent to their wallet straight away. Wow. If they don't want so, just untick the box. It's simple, but at the same time, it makes your users feel comfortable and feel relaxed with what they're doing. They don't need to worry about the next steps again. Yeah, well, that's that's one of the biggest issues with ex- exchanges in general is that you it's very hard to keep track of what you have on what exchange and to remember to withdraw things when you need to withdraw them. Um, so I can see that's going to have two really positive effects. The first one being that uh, you won't have to worry about forgetting that your funds are sitting on an exchange, first of all. Uh, but it will probably also encourage users to have their own wallets as much as they possibly can, which they control. Correct. By being by being a big crypto lover, I literally love cryptocurrency <laughs> in every single way. But I think the concept of crypto, how it was built at the beginning, it totally makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. It works. Why shouldn't we use it? So for a crypto lover, the first thing that you need to people to understand is that if you do not make them create their own wallets and make them feel comfortable that they're holding their actual wallet in their pocket like they do now with their debit cards and credit cards and IDs in it, okay, people is never going to feel comfortable. Mm. You understand what I mean? Yeah, people yeah, definitely. Is, people is always going to be feel controlled. It's always going to be feel, oh, somebody else is holding my money. What's mm. new? You understand what I mean? 
And it almost becomes like, I've had this conversation with other people before, it almost becomes like just another commodity then, doesn't it? If you're just holding it on an exchange and you're not exercising physical control over it, uh, you don't have it in a in a form which you can begin pay, paying for things on a day-to-day basis, it's, it's just like another commodity. And it, it's, it's not really what cryptocurrency was designed for in the first place. Correct. So if you want some news about CoinPocket, I'll tell you the best one, as you're saying now, how to spend it for day-to-day. So CoinPocket basically is building a system to allow Eastern transactions. So without uh, the waiting time. So let's say the same uh, method that uh, we're going to use for the market, we're going to use it for normal purchases every day. So let's say you are a business and you open an account on CoinPocket. And with that account, you tick their special box that allows you to sell it straight away or put in your personal phone in the mobile phone, okay? Mm. And then another user of CoinPocket that has another address, he has some Bitcoins. He can send it to you directly because it's CoinPocket account and CoinPocket account. The money transfer is instantaneously because it's not through the blockchain, but it's through the CoinPocket wallet. Okay, the transaction arrives to the business instantaneously and they can simply sell it instantaneously so they can get their fiat easily. So the business is not saying, oh, I'm putting myself at risk, you know, crypto, the market fluctuates, blah, 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 all this stuff. And the user can use his own crypto for an everyday basis. So at that point, it makes sense. You go to buy a coffee and you can purchase it with a Bitcoin. You can buy, go cut your hair and you can use Ethereum. The business simply needs to create an account with us and the user needs to create an account with us. But like anybody else at the moment, if you create a bank account, right? If you want to pay somebody with a credit card or a card, normal card, the other, the business needs to have a bank account, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, so it basically it's the same kind of concept. This is one of the functionality that is coming by the end of January. Great. At the beginning of February. So once uh, that's done, you open the vision of crypto to a larger scale. Of course, people is gonna say to me, oh, you're building something decentralized, but it's going to be centralized. And my answer simply is, well, it is still decentralized, not fully, but the third step is decentralized. Your money are still gonna be in your bank account directly. And they are going to be there by just you ticking a box and saying that after the transaction gets received in your account, your account automatically sells there on the market and you get your money in your, you get your fiat in your account and you can withdraw whenever you want. Brilliant. So okay. a business, a business gains interest. Yeah. Yeah. And have you, have you been in some discussions with businesses already locally for, for turning on functionality coffee. for coin pocket when it comes coffee coffee shops yeah coffee a lot of a lot of crypto users love coffee mm. a lot they love it hey who doesn't love coffee you know it's really i love it personally i love it and i would love to buy my coffee with some ethereum that i purchased at the beginning when the ico was launched you know it it, it, it is good you know it, it wouldn't make sense it, it, it's usable it makes it, it makes the user be able to use his money you know, like uh, there is many users that purchased the Ethereum at the beginning of the ICO or people that purchased Bitcoin in 2012. 
it makes sense for them to spend this in a way that they can actually spend it for groceries or spend it for coffees or haircuts or stuff like that, you know? Simple thing, but at the same time, it works. And that's what it's designed for, isn't it, really? At the end of the day, if, if, if we get the future that we want, cryptocurrency will be used for those kinds of transactions. It's a Correct. peer-to-peer cash system. Correct, that's it. So let's say people at this stage, there's a lot of travelers in Australia, right? Mm. My understanding is why are you bringing the money from Australia to your own country with the bank? You're gonna pay fees. Or even people coming from external countries and bringing it into Australia, right? Same thing, you're gonna pay fees. Why doing so if the cost of the blockchain is so low? Why not executing it with Bitcoins? Even the banks. My question is, why are they not using this as a method to reduce the fees in the exchange rates? Mm. It makes no sense. But, you know, talking about banks, I can't give really comments. (laughs) We could go down a very, very big rabbit hole with that one, Alfonso, that's for sure. Um, (laughs) So you've got uh, Bitcoin, uh, I think Ethereum and Litecoin listed on the site now at the moment. Um, Are there plans to to support more cryptocurrencies uh, in the near future? Yes, we we have um, a plan to integrate uh, the top 100 cryptocurrencies. But of course, uh, as I am building a full uh, clean system for the users, I of course only want to provide the actually trusted coins, mm. not coins that go put there for just the meaning of the ICO, that's it, you know. I want to actually analyze each one of those tokens and get into detail what's the meaning of the single token, why it should be on my platform, why should my user invest in it, you understand what I mean? Mm. Like I don't want to put my user at risk of spending money on something that I don't believe myself, you understand what I mean? I'm not uh, trying to limit the user, but just trying to actually spot the best and give them the best. Yeah, which, which is very good because a lot of people are coming to this market with almost no knowledge, especially if they're new to it. And, and if yeah. they can come somewhere where uh, you've already done that vetting process first for them, um, I, I think that's a real positive. So look, I can never give them a financial, uh, a financial you know, a comment or anything like that or instructions how to do things or anything financially. But I just simply, um, as a kind-hearted person. I want to analyze it for them before they touch something that for me personally shouldn't be touched. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm putting it more on a perspective of sort of like personal but not personal. You know what I mean? Like mm. uh, uh, if I need to buy a token uh, tomorrow morning uh, in the ICO stage or not ICO stage, I want to know who the team is, uh, why they're selling this token, what service they're providing and why should I buy it? Do I see a return? Do I, don't I see a return? Um, what's the strategy here? What's their ideas? Can I read their white papers? You know, but people fresh in the market won't do that. They will just buy it mm. just because they say, oh, we give you uh, 2,000 free coins in the airdrop uh, if you put one Ethereum. You understand what I mean? Yeah. 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 So, people will get excited to get something free and they will just give them the money. And at that point, that's what happens. People say, oh, I bought a lot of stupid tokens for nothing. 
Yep, and then and that will turn them off ever being involved in the space again, at least for the the short to medium term. And then everybody we start on the market and on the journalists we start saying, oh, it's all scam. They're all like this. It's not true. Look, there is some tokens they have a big team behind them and they're super smart and super knowledgeable people. And look, uh, if uh, their ideas work and they can build that idea. It works like why shouldn't you mm. but the thing is starting investing on something like oh the token of the meat uh, or the token of the grass <laughs> what's the meaning of that you understand what i mean mm. yeah definitely definitely and 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 look it has been a really interesting last probably year and a half in the market in general as we have kind of seen that ico bubble gradually increase and then gradually decrease uh over the course of this year and and we're in a really interesting stage at the moment where the markets have been relatively stable for the last six or so months with the exception of maybe the last week and there's been a a kind of a, a big dip and some people are freaking out about it uh generally people that haven't been involved in the space for long because <laughs> no, we're uh, no, no, what I keep repeating to the people that freaks out when it drops this much. I said to them, Do you remember from where it began? That's right. Do you remember that it began from 10 cents, guys? That's, That's right. We're still, you're still a long way up. <laughs> you're still, it's still a long way up. And every time you touch the deepest point, you can only go up. There's no other way. You can keep going down, going down but once you touch the bottom, you can only go up. Doesn't matter which situation that is cryptocurrency or that is life. <laughs> Once you touch the bottom, you can only go up. That that's that's very true. And and, and so, because I mean, you've obviously been involved in this space for quite a while, Alfonso, and and you've got a lot of a lot of uh, perspective on what's going on. Where do you see things going for the next year or two? You know, if, if you had to get out your crystal ball, and and I'm not asking for financial advice at all, but uh, in general terms, where do you see the cryptocurrency space being in the next couple of years? So I think uh, basically the crypto is going to be used by much more people in the next few years. People is gonna people that has no knowledge in technology at all, or people that has technology ready but never got into crypto. We start understanding. We start getting curious, and uh, by providing a system decentralized and making people hold their own money and be able to actually spend this money. Uh, I think more users are going to come all around the world because, of course, by being me the first here, okay, somebody else is going to do it. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing because um, more people that is, more crypto gets used by everybody. Mm. So uh, more crypto gets around. By being a crypto lover, that's all what I want. I want crypto to go around, my users to get the best price and don't get scammed by anybody. And, uh, and make them enjoy the world of crypto, not uh, regretting the world of crypto and all their, their purchases. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I see uh, this going really good in the next few years. Uh, crypto is gonna it's gonna grow a little bit. It's gonna it's gonna get known by a lot of people. It's gonna grow in that way. It's gonna grow of getting known. So people is gonna start purchasing again and stuff like. They're getting to be used for many different reasons and not just uh, to trade, but also to buy sim- sing- single coffee or a buying groceries for home or paying electricity or stuff like that. Mm, brilliant. 
All right. Well, thank you very much, Alfonso, uh, for, for coming on the podcast. And that's, that's been a really good insight into Coin Pocket. I, I, I feel like I'm, um, <laughs> I'm pretty keen to actually go and register myself and, 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 and get into this, this platform. And, and I think once the cell functionality is up and once we've got the exchange on there as well, it, it's, it's going to be quite a boon to have here in Australia. And, and hopefully things can just keep expanding. So thank you very much for coming on. Are there any uh, shout outs you want to make? Where, where can people follow you? And uh, where can they find out more information about CoinPocket? Uh, guys, if you want some more information about CoinPocket, you can go simply on the website for CoinPocket.com or go on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and follow us. Uh, personally, uh, if you want to follow me too, why not, you know? <laughs> it's kind of good to have a lot of people follow. But basically, follow CoinPocket, stay with us. Any question, any feedback to give us or any problem you have, CoinPocket team is going to be there for you guys. Brilliant. Alfonso Porcelli, thank you so much for coming on the FOMO show and uh, we wish you all the very best. Thank you. It's just It's great to see this stuff coming out in Australia. I think it's really cool. So this week in our privacy and security segment, we're going to talk about your Google privacy settings. Now, even if you don't think you have a Google account or think you're not signed into Google, check your Google privacy settings. I do this on most of my friends' laptops when they unfortunately leave them unlocked. I go and look at their privacy settings um, and then go and help them by doing it against their will. And you did this for me. Like I'm, I'm, I, I think I like to consider myself pretty privacy and security conscious and I didn't know about this. Google don't really advertise broadly and remind you on a daily basis to check your privacy settings. Go to myaccount.google.com, click on privacy checkup and you're, you may well find if you haven't changed your default settings and if you haven't checked them recently, Google is probably taking all of your web browsing history if you're using Chrome, all of your app usage history if you're using Android, They've got your location history. GPS history. Yeah. yeah, it was unreal. That's what that's what scared me. I turn my GPS off most of the time, but they track you from uh, like a login points, um, Wi-Fi, uh, Wi-Fi, yeah. Wi-Fi, where you sometimes you'll turn your GPS on to navigate in your car. Um, it was. I was quite shocked. I mean, for you, it showed you the specific places where you went on a holiday mm. um, a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah. And it's kind of eerily scary how it showed exactly which house you were in. Yep. Not the neighbouring house, the exact property you were staying at. Yep. Yep. It was, it was quite confronting. It's, it's very scary and very accurate and there's a lot of data in there. So what you could do, go through and turn off web and app history, um, turn off location history, turn off YouTube history, turn off search history. And you can go into My Activity, which is Google's activity that they've logged for you, delete activity by, and then delete all activity. Now, this may mean that your YouTube suggestions are still pretty pretty good, but the chances are when you click delete or turn off, they're still logging all the stuff you do, most likely. Yep. Um, but it's nice if you want the illusion of privacy and security, mm. go through and delete it, turn it off, and actively switch it off. 
know someone who might enjoy this, please feel free to share it with them. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on our Telegram at FOMO.show slash Telegram. Follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. And on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The FOMO Show. Subscribe to us on YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at The FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, please do feel free to subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. Vitalik Buterin. Today we will be talking about blockchain, Ethereum, and smart contracts. I'll get you, Satoshi. My sworn enemy. I will do anything to protect my honor. <laughs> Need more hash power. Where is our hash power? Hello. Does anyone have hash power? Anyone? Sit around, children, and let me tell you a tale about the Great Hash Wars of 2018. Was it great? It was glorious. Grandpa, <laughs> Grandpa what, what, is a, what is a checkpoint? <laughs> what, what is a... Well, what? children, a checkpoint is a dastardly plot. Uh, Brian, Brian. Uh, you, you forgot to re-record the... Uh, Brian. <laughs> Brian. <laughs> it's all right, mate. So, uh, what are we covering this episode, Brian? I already told you. I wasn't listening, Brian. I was, uh, I was wondering what you were doing with the uh, the novel that you're uh, working on there, Brian. A few twists and turns, <laughs> you know. Friends become enemies. Enemies become friends. <laughs> no, the convincing protagonist. Everyone becomes rich off the experience. <laughs> No one ever records a voice message. No, let's, we never ask. Don't give us messages because we don't bloody want them. You're too late. You asked you nicely. It's too late to apologize. But we accept your apology. It's too late. We accept Bitcoin, not your apology. Bit of a spider diagram. Bit of a... Bit of a... Data visualization specialist. Bit of a statistics. Open up an Excel spreadsheet or two. Uh, you going to put different points on the diagram. Gonna put EOS against Ripple. You're gonna, mm, you're gonna put Iona there as well. And maybe a bit of a Theorem Classic for old time's sake. <laughs>